Network Automation Nerds podcast. Hi guys, this is Eric Cho. I hope you're having a fantastic day. I want to let you know this episode was originally a guest speaking session with Denny at our Network Automation Learning Community for his thoughts about the recently concluded Autocon Zero conference. It is presented here in its original length of one hour, so a bit longer than the normal episodes. You would also hear other members' voices in the Q&A session toward the end. If you find it useful and are interested in joining our next guest speaking session, you could sign up via community-signup.networkautomation.community. The link is also in the show notes. Now, back to the show. So, um, yeah, without further ado, um, you know, uh, thanks for thanks for agreeing to be here, uh, Dan. Yeah, no, thank you for inviting me. And um, yeah, I appreciate being here. No, I mean, this this is not the first time. I mean, first time you being a guest speaker, but um, this is not the first time you uh, we would talk for sure. And you're not the first time we have a, a conversation about network automation, is it? <laughs> right. No, not at all. Yeah. So what do you like? How do you how did you hear about the event? Yeah. So um I'll try to erase as many acronyms as possible. So yes, please. The, the, the blog article <laughs> NAF Autocon Zero yeah. uh, is Network Automation Forum. Uh, I believe I first saw them on LinkedIn. I think that's where their presence, like I saw their presence first. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it definitely piqued my interest. But, uh, you know, as you know, Eric, like there are a lot of resources for network automation. So I wasn't sure exactly like the purpose of it, right. um, whether it was a conference, whether it's training like or a mix. And uh, so I kind of like I just I followed their page and kind of sat back and, you know, weeks went by and started noticing they were getting a lot of sponsorships. Right. Um, so you're like, how do I fill out that that expense report? Right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, Is it training? <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, I was just trying to figure out like what what's going on here because the the motto is like, uh, it's on their website, I'm sure. Um, yeah. But basically, let me, the, let me pull out their website. Yeah, it's right there. Why yeah. haven't we seen full adoption of network automation yet? Mm-hmm. Uh, which I thought I was like, you know, that's a question I think everyone asks. That's in network automation. Um, you know, why why aren't we seeing we're seeing change, but we're not really seeing full adoption. Uh, so I thought it was an interesting, you know, uh, motto tagline. Uh, so I, you know, I followed them and saw more as, as the program, like it seemed like their followers were growing, they had more sponsors. Um, so yeah, d- then I just decided, I was like, well, this could, you know, this technically would be like a, like a Cisco live equivalent to a, a conference, right. Um, yeah. an industry conference. So, you know, that's when I decided to go. But like, do you, do you want to define like full adoption of network automation or because, you know, I mean, <sighs> yeah, because <laughs> that's, that, a- that's written up in your blog post too, right? Right. Yeah. So f- network, I would say adoption would be um, operationalizing it. Right. Okay. So I- I'll kind of expand from there. So operationalizing would be, uh, replacing existing processes with new automated focused ones, right? Doesn't mean it replaces everything, but for example, if you're simple example, if you need to update the software on your network devices and 
you know, you have one guy, two guys on the team that might know Ansible or Python, and they have a couple scripts that work here and there. That's not really adoption. Uh, adoption would be you go into, you know, go through the change process and your implementation plan doesn't include, hey, we copy this to Flash, we do that, we do that. Um, you know, we rely on this automated process, this system. Um, and then obviously, depending on the change management, they may want to know the, the technicalities of it, but you're more or less pointing it to, hey, we have an automation system, not just a, a one-off script on someone's laptop. Yeah. That's. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's a pretty good uh, way of coming in from like an operator, right? Because I think the, the vendors, depending on what they're selling, they also have like different, like, you know, definition on adoption, right? Like a lot of vendors sells this uh, one size fits all, or they try to treat your whole network as a uh, uniform fabric. And they don't care, you know, which part gets taken out and put it in. And that that is a very different picture when you say like adopt that versus just like operationalize. Um, yeah, I like to use the operationalizing as a good example, just because ops is kind of where everyone starts most of the yeah. time. Uh, yeah. you, know, you, you don't normally just get thrown in from your CCNA into an architect role. Uh, so. Well, some do, but uh, <laughs> rarely works out. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, but yeah, everyone starts in ops. So I like to use that example. But no, this automation there, network automation is just a small sub, you know, subsector of infrastructure automation, right? So we won't get into all that. But network in network automation, you have the operation side. Uh, we have observability. Um, there's plenty. There's other sect sectors. I'll call them within network automation that you definitely can create examples. Um, I mean, observability, there was a whole panel and we could talk about that, but there was a whole panel at this conference that literally just talked about observability um, and thinking about streaming telemetry and, you know, moving off of SNMP, right. And that whole conversation. So um, that in itself, right. Is its own technically could be looked at as adoption of automation. Um, so, there's just so many different pieces with automation. It's tough to just have a blanket statement like that. Um, but yeah, I, I hope it, I hope the point is, I hope it just, if you're listening that some, one of those examples makes sense. Um, but that's why I like to start with operations. Cause I think a lot of people can understand that. Yeah. And I think Eddie also mentioned in the chat that, you know, what grabbed his attention initially was network, right? Like there's a, a lot of, conferences out there but rarely there's one that's just networking focused i mean set aside like networker or uh, cisco live right um, yeah exactly um and i guess that might be a good segue into start just like talking about the conference itself of course yeah go for it so and then you know kind of starting off with you know the, the highlight section of my yeah. blog like there were vendors and, you know, I mentioned, I mentioned sponsors, um, there were sponsors of the event and they had little booths set up, you know, a couple of tables here and there. Um, I don't know how many there were total. I think I read somewhere, somewhere in the twenties, 24, 26. Yeah. Um, it seems like they have different tiers. So on the website, if I scroll it down right here, so there's, you know, itential, there's a uh, uh, back box, which I've never heard of, but certainly, you know, IP fabric, Juniper, selector. Uh, Infinera, Kentic, Netbox Labs, Network to Code, uh, people or companies that you've heard of, and of course Arista, which I think you'll you'll go into too, right? 
Right. Yep. So, uh, yeah, and in the in my blog, I mentioned a couple of those uh, vendors, and you know, I stopped by a few of their uh, their setups, uh, but I just mentioned a couple. Um, sure. so starting off, like Arissa, I mentioned because I have a, you know good friend Julio Perez works there. I, Julio, <laughs> yeah, right. You know Julio as well. So yeah, I mean, I it was a uh, it was an interesting it was interesting from that perspective though, right with the vendors being there because unlike larger conferences, other tech conferences where they're just trying to sell you a product. Yeah. The conversations that I overheard and were a part of while I was out there, what they were more constructive is the best way I could describe them. You know, it mm. was like, what problems are you seeing? And some of them were just in general conversations about automation. It wasn't like, Hey, this product, you should get my product because X, Y, Z. It was just, well, what problems are you having? Oh, have you thought about this? Have you tried this? Um, it was really just like a technology-driven conversation um, versus product-driven. So mm. it, it was nice. It was kind of refreshing, I guess is the best way to <laughs> put it, to not be flooded with uh, marketing emails and, hey, you should buy this product because of this. It was just, this is what our product does. Take a test drive if you want. Or if you want me to, you know, kind of go into details or ten thousand foot view, let me know. Um, so definitely, you know, shout out to the the sponsors. They, I think, all their people did a great job, kind of explaining their products without being too salesy. Yeah, and I think Keith also mentioned, uh, you know, Keith who works for Juniper in the chat that Juniper. So, yeah, kudos, man. I mean, you know, yeah. we'll probably like when when we open up the audio session later on, we'll probably have. Uh, couple of minutes for his thoughts as well. But, um, but yeah, you know, thanks for all the sponsors. Like, you know, it can't, can't happen without them. So I'm glad to hear that there are not a lot of marketing and not a lot of, you know, like fluffs, right? So people who are there probably are more very tech focused, as you mentioned. Right. Yeah. And so I'll, I'll quickly just touch on some of the, um, the sponsors that I mentioned in the blog post. So Rissa, as I mentioned, was there, um, they had a demo with um, their AVD product. Mm -hmm. So, you know, using Ansible, able to deploy a validated design. Um, and then I also get, got to talk with Julio about their um, a network test automation framework they have called Anta. Mm -hmm. uh, Is that like a similar to PyATS uh, Py or what's your, what's your take on it? So... I, I don't really have a take yet. Okay. <laughs> he put me the documentation and I promised him that I would take a look at it. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, it seems very, it's, it seems very easy to like a low entry barrier yeah. to getting started. He showed me some of the documentation. So I did promise him I'll take a look at that because network test automation, that is my, that's what I, I'm been enjoyed doing, um, you know, currently. So yeah, so that was Arista. Um, they just, it, like I said, it was very, it, it was very casual in a way to where you could walk up, see a demo, talk to Julio, talk to um, uh, Daniel as well. He was there, his uh, coworker, mm -hmm. to where they could go through a demo, ask about their products, and so forth. Um, yeah, the next one you have up here, Nokia. Nokia keeps crushing it. I mean, <laughs> there's really no, nothing else to say. Like. Nokia, uh, they had um, Container Lab. They, sure. they showed you know the ins and outs of Container Lab. If you haven't heard of Container Lab, please please check it out. Um, 
it is one of the easiest tools. It, it's so refreshing to see you can basically simulate a network just with containers. Um, and there are a lot of possibilities with it. Um, so, you know, they went through, showed Container Lab. They talked about it, you know, at their booth. Um, they also talked on stage, actually, that they, they had a representative from Nokia on stage, talked about they have a um, an AI, it's like a chat GPT. Yeah. A SR Linux GPT. Yeah. And so basically you can ask, it's, it's built into the software. It's, you can install it in uh, SR Linux and you can ask almost like a chat GPT interface. You could say in plain English, like ask AI, how many BGP neighbors do I have? Um, are all my BGP neighbor relationships healthy or, or you know, stable? So it's some very, ba some things that those are very easy examples, right? They also showed an example of if I wanted to configure BGP with four neighbors with these IPs, how would I do that? And it would print out, you know, your configuration for you and show you how to do it. Um, it was Wait, cool. where where do you install the uh, SRL GPT? Do you install it on the host machine that's running these uh, containers? Correct. Or yeah. do you install them inside of the container? Uh, yes, on the device. So in in the context of Container Lab, yeah, if you had SR Linux, I. I'm assuming it works in their containerized image, um, but mm -hmm. yes, it's on the device. Oh, okay. So like on the on the um, host machine, so it has visibility into the connections and so on. Or correct, yeah. So on the router okay. on the switch, if it's in a container in you know in the container, um, mm -hmm. don't hold me to the container piece, but uh, I believe I believe actually what they showed on stage. Okay. Anyways, okay. Yeah, well, you know, we'll, right we'll have more information probably because this is still experimental, but. I imagine right, yeah. if you need like visibility into the connections between different hosts, then they have to have that, like that macro level. Yeah. The interesting play I saw with it was, uh, you know, you hear about LLMs, you know, yep. these language models, and they basically were saying like the difference between this SR, SR Linux GPT and chat GPT is, you know, chat GPT uses the internet's history essentially up to yep. 21 or 22 right yep whereas i guess theirs uses their own language model that's very network focused mm. right so so you might be able to get some it has additional context that maybe a chat gpt wouldn't um yep. that's at least the way i took it mm -hmm. so but yeah so it was pretty cool it was neat it was a nice uh it was a nice little demo for sure yeah yeah i mean I'm sure there are going to be more use cases that comes out of it, but um, but definitely you want to have some kind of intercept, right? Like there's a you know a very famous example of like two plus two on uh, you know on, on ChatGPT proper on uh, and they were like OpenAI and they would just like fall on their face, right? <laughs> but, mm -hmm. You know, um, just right. because it's, it's like and also like the accuracy decreases over time because they're taking so much more data. That and that includes both good and junk, so that you know it, initially they might be able to figure out you know in the, if enough text out there have two to the power of two to be four, then then that's great. Then now win out. But if enough like people who are putting in junk like two to the power of two equals to eight or sixteen or whatever, then um, then eventually those data will win out, right? It's there's no intervention. So um, so this seems like Nokia is intercepting like the request 
and they try to answer it themselves first, or at least construct a prompt that get back into a, an answer that's you know underneath them that has uh, a lot of ChatGPT, but the key information is networking and right. Nokia. Right. Yeah, I'll be interested to see where it goes. You know, they did mention multiple times it's experimental. It's yeah. like a it's basically a pet project up to this point. So um, don't ask your sales rep for, for <laughs> you know, unless you want just a demo environment. And it's not like they're recommending to push it to all your Nokia devices yet. So no, no, but or very, like rely on your like change management. Right. Right. <laughs> um, yes, and so the next. I think the last vendor that I, you know, sponsor that I mentioned here is Opsmill. Yeah. So Opsmill is a, it's a new company. It's founded by uh, Damien Garris and uh, Raphael, I'm going to probably butcher it, Manier. Manier, uh, that's how I pronounce it too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, I've met Damien and I have a history with Damien. Um, so I got to, I saw him, I think the first day I, I was there. Uh, and he, he kind of showed me around Ops, uh, Ops Mill and his kind of the thought with it. So um, I will probably lose you explaining the, <laughs> the, the product, but uh, basically what it is, is that it allows you to. Um, so when you think of a source of truth, right, you think of, you know, a NetBox, an Autobot, um, those are kind of the two big players. And, you know, that's where you store all of your kind of declared state or like your intended state of the network or connections or IP addresses and so forth, right? And, but under the hood, that's just a relational database, right? And what OpsMill is trying to do is allows you to, if there's any sort of reason that you have to change your data schema to the database or, you know, the underlying quote unquote source of truth, then the data changes go with your code and your changes. So it's very heavily integrated with Git. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll kind of spin it to, if you've ever contributed to a, you know, a project on GitHub, you create a pull request, right? It has all your code changes in it. Um, and then, you know, it goes through some CI testing and so forth. But what, this allows you to do this product. It allows you to, um, the database can actually branch just like you do in Git, right? You create a branch, do your changes, and then you create a pull request um, to merge your changes. Um, this is basically a database that allows you to branch the database with your code changes, and then also create a pull request and include those database changes as well, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I actually just talked to Damien on like prior to jumping out like an hour ago and um, just specifically focus on Optimo. It is very cool. Perfect. Well then what I would say is if, if you ever do a, a recording with him, I go to that recording and sure <laughs> Damien can explain it way better. I, I don't think I could edit that fast enough, but, uh, but uh, yeah, it's yeah. I recorded a session uh, with him. And uh, he talked about just as what you were saying, Danny, uh, on the uh, the challenges that he see, and um, and I, of course, you know, like Eddie's here on the chat, and he created this tool in AA, which uh, you know we released that those episodes a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you know relies on uh, and he write, wrote about it right, like on the kid on the back end. So I think there's definitely pros and cons on the two different approaches, and something that uh, he probably mentioned. 
you know, in the conversation, but you haven't uh, written it down here was he uses a graph database as opposed to like a relational database because right. of that challenge you mentioned of you have to predetermine the, the relationships between entities. And it's kind of hard to do that ahead of time if the relationship is dynamic, right? Like if it's, it's super easy, if you know, you know, you have two data centers in this region and each data center has uh, 500 devices and each device are this type of device and that type of device, but it's hard to capture the metadata on say a network design, right? Like through several iterations where you have somebody, some people put in their reviews and some people are, um, you know, uh, you know, swapping out this and then coming up with a decision on 64 uplinks versus 32 or something like that, you you could capture that 32 end result, but you can't capture the reasoning behind it, essentially the discussion up to that point, right? So then the next pe person comes in and say, oh, 32, that's great. But they don't know the why behind, like, or the, the months long discussion on why that is the number they picked. That's... That is a better explanation than what I just gave. So yes, <laughs> that, <laughs> no, yes, no, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah. seriously, that was, I, yeah, I definitely missed that in the blog post is yeah. The, if you, if you've never heard of graph databases, I recommend taking a look uh, and, you know, Googling around and seeing the power of graph databases. It's very, very interesting. Yeah. I've heard of GraphQL, but I didn't, I never heard of graph database. I didn't know it was already you know, kind of productizing a lot of open source project. I've heard of, you know, um, you know, NoSQL and I've used a lot of them. I use SQL, but um, it seems like a very interesting movement and something yeah. that Damien mentioned, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm sorry to cut you off, but something that mentioned like really strongly about was like every once in a while, us network engineers should like peek out from our, look up from our like, without burying ourselves in the in the screen and look up and look at other industries, right? Like other people have solved this before and um, we should like take that the good parts out from their struggle or, you know, their wisdom and apply to network engineering. Yeah, that's exactly that. I would say is the theme of network automation and what will get us to the next level is exactly what you just said is look across different industries, specifically software development Mm -hmm. And they've been doing what we're like experimenting with for years. For example, CICD, right? It's a very crazy acronym for some and it's very buzzwordy in the network industry. But you look across software development, that's just, that's, that's a tool in their tools, you know, in their toolbox. So, um, yeah, we definitely need to look across, you know, other industries. Yeah. But the, the challenge then I post to him in the, in the section, right? Like my little plug is it's so hard. Like we're already overwhelmed with our daily jobs and family and, you know, trying to, it's, it's hard enough to keep above water, let alone like going to an, a whole new different vertical where we know nothing about or very little about. And you, you feel like you're wasting time, right? Because you're not, you know, you're not the, the level that other people are. It's like me going to like a data science conference, right? Like, I feel like I'm not being productive because I'm so far away from understanding what they're talking about. What do you, what's your thought on that? Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, it's the, um, the nerves, whenever the nerves you get, whenever you're, you're learning something new, but you don't feel like it's applicable to you. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I can see where you're coming from. Um, 
But I think there also needs to be kind of a, a paradigm shift in networking, right? I think I forget who mentioned it. Actually, it was kind of a repeating phrase, and you've probably have heard of it as well. It's, you know, the net. You have to start treating the network and the network devices as cattle instead of your pets. Sure, sure. And I think so, it was the uh, the organizer who kept on. Oh no, not no. Oh, it's um, no. I mean, it's the uh, um, Alex Alex Henthrone. Iwan, I think that's uh, that he first came out with it, and I only know because I'm scheduled to record that session with him this afternoon. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. So, perfect example, right? And that's kind of that. Like, obviously, that you could take that a couple different ways, but the way I look at it is, you kind of just have to treat the, the network at the end of the day is just data, right? Yeah. So what we do with the data, how we collect it, how we push configuration, how we get that full, um, that feedback loop. Um, there's many ways to do it, but we need to start looking at the network as data and not as basically artwork, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, like you, uh, back into that cattle versus pet, right? You, you, you babysit your pets. When you go on vacation, you check into a hotel, but in cattle, it's just like any other uniform transactional thing that you do on a daily basis. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, yeah, the, we just have to look at it differently to where it's, you know, you may, I, and I haven't really run into this professionally, but you know, you hear stories about people that it might be a, a senior architect or someone that's just been there a while. And it's like, Oh, Hey, I configured BGP for the network or, you know, I did that or I did this. And it's like, it's cool. Like, I'm glad that like, you had the thought and the design and like, it is you know, a really good design, but the implementation steps sh shouldn't be anything to talk or kind of flex about if that makes sense. Right. Because mm -hmm. it doesn't, it shouldn't matter how the device gets configured or the little, the tiny little configuration options that you went through and hand jammed. It's, you know, it's good to have a good intended design. I don't, I think you do need to implement those nerd knobs when necessary, but I don't think we need to worry about how the device is configured and then how we validate the network. I think that's something that we should kind of have an open approach to and understand that, okay, we have a bunch of data from the network. Let's figure out what the network's doing, the intended state, and then how we need to get there. And that's where a lot of programming and Ansible and things that, you know, we're, we're talking about constantly in network automation. These are tools that help enable that. Yeah, I think that goes also goes back to what you were talking about in your conversation with Damien, right? Because those um, those design process were not captured, so those often lived inside of these, you know, people who came up with it in the in the first place uh, mind, or like maybe in the wiki or whatnot that nobody reads. So, so they that becomes a unique snowflake process that others, even for a motivated individual, cannot understand. And that becomes like this treasure that lives inside. But if you can capture uh, somehow, you know, in that, you know, reviews and everybody who had inputs, at least as a newcomer, right? I just joined the company yesterday and I'm able to read all the documentation. And as a, as a smart, motivated individual, I could contribute to that. Versus I have to go back to that person and buy him a beer or whatever and dig that out. <laughs> in the show. Right. No, that's exactly, exactly right. And funny enough that that kind of puts us into this next section, people and processes kind of leads right into it. Right. Um, 
So, yeah, so people in processes, you know, I wrote about a couple of the speakers there. Um, you know, I won't go through each of the individual presentations. Uh, there'll be, I believe they said um, NAF, the leaders of NAF are going to post the um, YouTube recording or recordings to YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way you, everyone can take a look at all the different speakers and whatnot. Um, obviously, the ones that the one that highlighted in, in my eyes was Jeremy Shulman. Okay. Um, he had a really good presentation about um, basically a design driven approach um, yep. to network assurance. And so that, what that means is not just taking in des- network design and configuring devices, but also based on the design, dynamically creating tests and validation points to make sure the network looks and appears as it should. And we're not talking just like, Hey, is the CPU memory look good? Does, you know, the control, the, you know, the control plane look good. It's everything down to the cabling. Are we are we seeing you know transceiver? The light levels look good, and it, it was very in depth. Um, and I, I mentioned I put a link to his. Um, he had a presentation for Nanog um, mm-hmm. that kind of talked about. I think it was more theory, um, but the one the presentation he had for NAF was very demo driven. So it was, it was really cool to see his tools and what he's built for, for the MLB. Sorry. I mean, I didn't mean to uh, get that, but yeah, so the link is, uh, in the, um, in the, in Danny's, uh, uh, write up. Right. Yep. So, I mean, um, so his was good. Another one that I didn't, I don't believe I included, but, uh, I would recommend checking out as well as, uh, Jason Davis. He works at Cisco. Okay. Um, he has oh, a, is, it, is it the one who launches the Cisco Live, um, uh, like units and the network inside yep. of a, a closed loop system? Yep. Yeah. So he he has a, a pretty big focus on observability um, and mm-hmm. telemetry. He's built some really cool dashboards, um, and yeah, his he's probably the most famous for the knock uh, dashboards, the Cisco Live knock dashboards that he's created um, and kind of presented at Cisco live on. So his, his uh, presentation was really cool. And I would recommend that, you know, that one as well. Nice. Um, but yeah, the presentations, uh, you know, I definitely don't want to take uh, any steam away from the people that presented, just go check them out whenever the, the recordings are released. And um, I think you'll enjoy, there really wasn't one that I would say, Oh, like, you know, it's just kind of a repeat or something you always hear. Everyone had either, you know, a different take on how they're deploying automation in an enterprise. So um, I believe I mentioned um, Kaon yep. from the Times. Uh, he deploys the way they use Ansible and, and deploy network automation. You know, his company was different than, um, I don't know if I wrote, he works for 1111 Systems. I think it was Garrett Nowak. I think it was Garrett. Um he, for 11.11 systems, he explained how they, in a year or a year and a half, I believe, you know, tried doing a transformation or completed a transformation to automation. Um, but the theme, the theme I thought that was interesting across the board was, you know, they said they've implemented network automation, um, but they're not locked out of the CLI, right? They, they kind of, I always say they kind of do like a reality check. Right. So they they said, hey, you know, we've adopted network automation, but, you know, 
in reality, yes, you still have to SSH the device to do some, you know, to kind of put on your network engineering hat, right? Because there's sometimes you need to be in the device and troubleshooting and whatnot. So it was kind of cool to see that balance. Between yeah, I mean, why would you ever lock yourself out of serial? I mean, at least console, right? Like, just ask, you know, the people who experienced the outage at Facebook where, like, automation is prevalent and the predominant way of doing things. But, you know, the guy who was, the poor guy who was in charge of fixing it when it gone owl, then, you know, like, he still needs to go check. And, and his badge expired, right, during COVID. So <laughs> why would you ever lock yourself out of that? Right. No, that's exactly. I think that was actually a joke that I heard in the hallway was, was after <laughs> one of the presentations was, oh, well, yeah, you don't want to turn to Facebook. But yeah, I mean, yeah, you don't want to which, which, we'll put that into like a term, right? You don't want to Facebook it. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. You just you want to at least you have want to have the ability, right? And the yeah. whole purpose is that we're, we're saying this for people that might not really understand like well, why would you ever want to lock yourself out like for real um yeah a lot of times you might be you might hear in the automation like oh well when you implement automation we can't have any sort of config drift or any like manual changes because that messes with the automation right right uh, and so that's uh, that's what at least what i've heard right like i, I w i'm not an advocate of that it's just if you've ever heard that it's it comes from that vein of Oh well, if you know, if you're still allowing your engineers to manually log into the device, then what's the point of automation if they're going to mess it up and divert from the standard and so forth? Um, but yeah, yeah, I think the balance that I've seen before was um, the fact that your your manual change will get overwritten in like two days. So if you're like fixing a bug um, and you you know you you need to hand change some stuff just to fix a bug, you better like make it permanent or semi-permanent uh, within the next 48 hours. Otherwise the, the automation tool is gonna come in and say, this is not what it's supposed to be and you know, reverse or change. Yeah, and I'll kind of leave with the, the point. I actually heard or saw that Dart, um, Dartmouth College, they, mm -hmm. they've had webinars with um, uh, Netbox to explain kind of their strategy with automation, how they've adopted. It was mostly, you know, it was NetBox focus, but what they do is they generate configs. And I believe they said every single night they do a config replace on all their devices with the generated config sourced from NetBox using the config context. And I, I thought that was pretty insane. Was so <laughs> that's, that's hardcore, you know? It is hardcore. Yeah, no, not insane is like, a dumb idea or crazy. Sure, sure, sure. I think yeah. it's, it is hardcore, dude. Like yeah. that is, um, I mean, every single night I'd be worried like, okay, it's almost midnight. The whole right. network is going to go through a config replace here. Um, but if you're interested in that, I, I think there's probably a few different YouTube videos out now. Definitely recommend checking it out. If you look up like Dartmouth College, Netbox, I'm sure you'll find one, uh, one of the videos. And it's a very interesting to see the, the trust in automation um, and, you know, the configuration reliance there. Yeah. And sometimes they just do it for, for other reasons. Right. So I think I, you know, my old coworker, Justin Peach, um, he wrote from Amazon. I mean, he wrote about, there was a time in, in, in place where there's significant 
uh, scaling issues with um, load balancers. I won't mention the vendor, but um, he wrote it in the blog post that there are times where they just daily reboot the box, right? And so in terms of uh, automation, manual changes, they just, you know, they're, they're, um, they're overwritten. Um, and, uh, you know, whenever they reboot it, you know, they're not going to uh, save the running config. They're just going to reboot it. Um, and then once they found out that it doesn't, the impact is not as severe as one might inspect, then every single time they make a change, they just reboot it, right? It's not even, you know, they write it oh, into wow. the, the running config and, and save it. They just like write it, run it, and then reboot it just to, to avoid any kind of memory leak or anything like that. Um, yeah, that was, yeah, anyways. Yeah. So that's, that's just a follow up on what you said. And if I look at the, the chat right now, and, uh, so Eddie mentioned that, you know, uh, the network side of IT is five and not eight, 10 years behind the server side. And, um, you know, and then the, the network vendors haven't made their product compatible with network automation. It is true. I, I would definitely think that, not definitely think, but um, I would agree that it's less commoditized. So the server, you know, is really a commodity, right? Like I, I could buy a Dell or a HP and it doesn't impact my ability to load Linux onto either one or the flavor of Linux, but, you know, try to, try to, you know, load Junos onto Cisco, right? Like good luck with that. And um, yeah, so Kayon Thana's presentation in Otacon. Yeah. So me too. I mean, I would definitely look forward to what he's done and it sounded like he may not be the only guy, but it sounded like he is kind of the only guy who's doing it at New York Times, right? So, yeah, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. I believe he's uh, he's definitely leading the charge. Yeah, um, I, I was able to talk to him a little bit uh, the last night of the conference, and he there's he said that you know there's definitely some people that you know most of the teams on board. You know, there's a couple people stragglers, you know that would help. You know, might need some additional help, and I think that's across the board, right? Where you're, if you're trying to be, if you're an advocate evangelist for network automation, you can get a couple people convinced. Um, and then it, it's, it's a process. I mean, the, this part of the blog that, you know, you have on screen now, the people and processes, it's, it, it takes a while. And that was a theme that kind of, I came away from the conference as well is everyone that presented that were that like, like K on, um, he, they explained that it's not a overnight thing. It's not a week project. It's not, you know, a hackathon project. It's not a month. This is a multi-year project. This is yeah, a you said it right here. Automation is a journey, not a race. There you go. Yeah. So that's yeah, those are the the my take, the the wrap up to the blog. And yeah, it's exactly what that's exactly the theme I took away. Um, everyone says it, but whenever you actually hear people's journeys and their explanation of yeah, you know, like for example, Kayon, he told me, I believe he said they're in year four of this adoption. So, you know, four years, and that, there's a lot that goes on in four years. And it's not just, you might, over, over that long of a time period, you might not even be trying to convince the same network team that you started with, right? Because of people. <laughs> four years, you're like graduated from college or high school. <laughs> right. But you, you, you may be people might retire, people may leave. Um, so like it, it's, it is a journey and it does take, um, you know, another point that I make here is 
it's it's a large process change and it requires buy-in and not just from the people that write the check for the tooling but your your people managers the rest of your team um, it really requires kind of everyone on board because as soon as you have a, you know a few people that are against it not people that just haven't picked it up but people that might be against it then it starts to crumble and it crumbles pretty quickly um, so it's um it's that's kind of the those were those were the, at least you know a couple of the themes um, that I took away. Yeah, and I also want to thank you, Danny, for writing this right because it's a uh, you didn't have to write it <laughs> and uh, you didn't have to put as much thought that you would have uh, into this for those of us who couldn't make it. And of course, you know, sharing your your take in person. So I really want to say thank you for for doing this. This is well well done. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, you I'm not near me. my recording station, but I, I would give you like a, a plot sound, but uh, you know, I don't have that right now. <laughs> no, I, um, but yeah, the reason I do is, you know, you know me, I'm an advocate for network automation and I, I try sure. to, I love helping people and trying to help explain things to people. And, um, you know, this is one thing that if you weren't there, I, I just felt that you at least need to get the messaging. And there's a lot of people that wrote blogs um, about you know, kind of recapping, like some people did like a blog on day one and blog on day two that are more detailed and have different takes. Like, you know, one thing that you know, I'll just say, like my blog definitely doesn't cover, doesn't cover all the different vendors, doesn't cover, and there were plenty, right? But I didn't want to turn this thing to a book. I just picked, you know, just handpicked a couple, um, but there are plenty of sponsors there that I like to, I would go into detail for. Um, and other people that I've met. Um, so it, it was a very cool experience. No, I would say like you offer the most value from your perspective, right? If I wanted to hear from the vendor's perspective, I could just get on their website and you know watch videos later or whatnot. What is really valuable is from your perspective, your background, and looking through your lens, then it puts me into your mindset and so on. So uh, no, definitely you know, pick out the ones that you see valuable, right? That in itself is valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right, cool. So we're going to open up, uh, you know, maybe like the Q&A session. Uh, feel free to just ask the question yourself, but I will go ahead and start with the first one that Keith... So Keith was uh, there as well, and he works for uh, Juniper. And the first question is... Um, where are the vendors failing in your opinion, right? I, that one I'm, I'm at it. Uh, you know, obviously he sit too close to Juniper to see out the issues. So what do you think the, the case is? And I'll, I'll add my piece from a hearing from, uh, uh, Damien earlier on, but go ahead. Oh man, put me on the spot here. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I, I love, well, feel free to, feel free to, you know, take out that soapbox. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I've, I, um, I like answering these sort of questions because they're the tough ones that people like to run around. Um, so where the vendors might be failing. So yeah. I think the one piece, um, and this was a discussion point that I believe there's actually going to be an action taken with it as well as just the different jargon used within network automation. Um, okay. All the, kind of the different words that are used. So, you know, people talk about, um, I'll use configuration as an example, right? So in Ansible, you have a concept of playbooks. Sure. Outside of automation and just in regular network engineering, 
and this this may just be company lingo, but a lot of companies you you know you work for um, or work with playbooks are considered like your implementation plan, right? Sure. Like so your mop, like your mop, right? Yeah, yeah. So I've heard yeah mop playbook. So, but some people take that and try to move over to network automation. They they hear Ansible playbook and they're like, oh, like what's that about? That's like one very simple example. Another example would be templates, right? Sure. So people, what does that mean? Well, in automation, Jinja 2 templates. In network engineering, we have config templates. Config templates in network auto, or network engineering are literally just text files with a couple word, you know, a couple lines of configuration on it. Jinja 2 templates, something completely separate. And that's very specific to a Python library, right? It can, it, it's just that there's, when you're talking about network automation and network engineering together, people kind of can mix Lego. Like I mean, you can talk about, hey, I wrote a playbook for this. Someone that doesn't have too much automation experience may say, yeah, I write playbooks all the time for our network changes. And right. I might hear you and say, oh, wow, that's like, that's awesome. Like, glad you guys are adopting network automation. Well, no, no, no. I'm, you know, I write down, we have a change template and I write down these, all these commands and Anyways, that's a very, I think that's a super simple example and probably not the greatest, but I hope you kind of get the understanding of like, we just kind of have to outline all the jargon and all of the different wording we use within automation and then how that kind of works with network engineering specifically. Um, so that's one piece, I think, because a lot of times you get caught up in just word salad with some of the vendor products. Um, but uh, I mean, besides that, I think it's really tough to be a vendor and then also try to hold that competitive advantage with automation because a lot of the tooling around automation is open source, right? So um, you could take and build on those open source products. Um, I mean, a, a good example would be, you know, Jeremy Stretch built Netbox and now Netbox, Jeremy is part of a company called Netbox Labs, Um that kind of builds on that and provides a, a productized um, marketing behind it. Yep. You know, so there's ways to kind of market these, the automation tooling. Um, but I think it's really just the, the takeaway from it is take a step back, try to understand what we're, what you're trying to solve, what you're trying to help and not try to upsell some other product with it. If that makes sense. Right. So don't yeah. don't say, hey, we're selling this tooling, but it only works with our latest switching model or our latest router model or something. And it's like, okay, well, does that mean I have to buy this too? Yeah, you do. It, you know what I mean? Like it just keep it open as possible. And so that way, because whenever you go into buying a product or helping a company buy a product, one of the first things you look at is what's the vendor lock-in? Yeah. And many times no one's going to say, yeah. Give me the one with the most vendor lock-in. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's almost like the cell phone model, right? Like the cell phone is free, but then hey, you know, if you want some plans, go with it. Then, uh, it, and by the way, it's going to be like thirty-six months, three years locked in, right? Um, so you know, like the the software is open source, but you do have to have our latest and greatest hardware to go along with that nice, you know, automation. Right, and I will say this: there are times it makes sense. Um, because maybe there's a feature or something that's just not present in older hardware. Yeah. Right. So 
I, I know it's a balance, but I think this day and age, I would definitely try to stay as open as possible without forcing any other upsells. Yeah, Which, and then that this is not unique to networking, right? So there, you know, software. There's, a, you know, kind of a, uh, uh, what is the like um, end of life, end of engineering, end of like you know patch, right? So it's only usually like in the three year span. So you can't, you know, continuously support something that was ten years ago. But at the same time, you know, you have to have some sort of public release and give people time to react. And reasonable time to, you know, kind of get caught up with it, right? So it's okay if your automation tool doesn't support, you know, iOS without APIs, but, you know, you have to at least not having that refresh rate every six months. Right. And I guess one last takeaway, and we can, we can move on if you want, um, is please, please, please don't put any of your product APIs behind a registration or paywall. <laughs> I only ask that because at least from my perspective, you know, if, if we're looking or considering tooling, whether, you know, for a client, you, you want to be able to investigate the integration points of the product and ways that you can integrate with it. Um, because obviously there's companies that, you know, for example, ITSM, they may have service now and that's staying, right? That's not going to be something that changes within the next five years or so. So, you're going to look for products that can potentially integrate with that. Obviously, ServiceNow is a big thing that a lot of products do have out-of-the-box integrations with. But let's say you do have to look at the bigger picture and say, well, I want to integrate with that. I want to integrate with IPAM. And so you, you start looking at the APIs available to see where those integration points can lie. So that's that's kind of where, where I'll leave it with. Nice. Yeah, I mean, and sorry about that sound because I was just clicking on different links that Keith uh, sent before, and I'll include these in our uh, show notes for sure. Um, on uh, first was the uh, Netbox Labs with uh, the Dartmouth College that that uh, Danny mentioned before, as well as a uh, you know achieving network automation with the uh, the YouTube. It's the same same one. Um, so the second question that Keith asked was, uh, is there any value if we begin to offer some kind of suggested practice for automation, multiple, maybe multiple ways to automate the same tasks, the same task? Um, uh, sorry, I'm going to re reread the question here. Oh, no, no worries. I think what he meant was, you know, um, if there's a, a value, if we have like kind of a, a cookbook, or a collective best practice place to do that. Is that uh, is that what you mean, Keith? Almost. I you are I, muted. I, I don't want to call it best practice. I just want sure. to call it suggestions, like to help people who are just getting started have a few ways to look at how to automate something and then not be overly opinionated about saying do it this way, but mm -hmm. say you could do it one of these three ways or one of these four ways, one with Ansible, one directly with Python, maybe using different uh, modules. So. The idea was, should we start that? Is there any benefit to doing that? Because something that came up at AutoCon in my conversations where people were kind of operating in a bubble, they were lone wolves getting it done, but not knowing if it's a better way to do it, if there are things they're not considering. So my, my thought was, should we start trying to pull that together? 
Yeah, I mean, well, besides, I mean, since I have you here, right, we'll answer that question just a little, not, well, I will let Danny answer that question just a little bit. But since you, you have you here, what's your overall take on the, uh, uh, on the AutoCon event? Um, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, my, my take on it was it was encouraging to see that many people that interested in network automation to make that trip, um, you know, come even if it's just time away from their normal jobs to engage and be there for those conversations. That's really encouraging. Um, some of the environments that I've worked in, you'll find that you're the only person that's excited about automation and what it can do. But in that environment, you were one of many people excited about what network automation can do. So that was encouraging to, to me anyway. Um, I was surprised to hear how strongly the opinions um, for vendors being the a, a big source of the issue. So one thing that <laughs> I was honestly, but again. Well, did, did you like have some like nervous chuckle and be like, yeah, you know, I work for June for two. <laughs> well, and you know, it was plastered over my badge. I mean, my, um, yeah, my, my badge, even though uh, I wasn't there on the company's dime, it still showed me as a sponsor. So yeah. I wondered if that's why I heard it so much. But oh, okay. I people are coming out to, to complain. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. But I even ping, pinged you. I sent you a message and I sent a few messages on LinkedIn just to ask, like, you know, what are the vendors in general doing wrong? And I do want to know what Juniper's doing wrong along with the other vendors so I can have a better perspective. Because, again, I didn't know that, that there was a huge problem around that. So um, the event was great, though. It was really encouraging, Dan. I appreciate the time that you took for the blog and, and going over things today. So I was just encouraged in general. Yeah, I think that was the the takeaway. One of the takeaway from uh, Damien as well. He was he he was telling me about a uh, the previous one that was sponsored by uh, Network to Code, and this was like pre COVID, so it must be 2019 or before, where they have to latch on to another conference, which was Interrupt, or I think. So it was like Interrupt, and then like a day after, or maybe like a subsession within Interrupt. And there was like 80 people who showed up. And this time, I think he mentioned there was 300 plus. So yeah, that was one of the the takeaways. Oh, and um, something that I wanted to mention from your previous question that um, where the vendors are failing. Uh, and I think part of, and correct me if I'm wrong, you guys were both there, but I think uh, Jeremy Shulman was actually on the stage, you know, uh, expressing his opinion on many of these stuff that he shouldn't be doing it by himself, right? Like there should be an open source project, like more people should participate in it, right? Like they should participate, they should open source it, and then they should, we should all collaborate as opposed to one or two heroes, uh, you know, Kirk Byer being one and, uh, you know, Netbox being another and all of that, like they're just, they shouldn't be shouldering all the weights. Yeah, what do you think about that, Danny? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. He did mention that towards, towards the end. I mean, that was, he, he mentioned it in, in the context of, um, I, I don't know what the question was, but it was related to like, you know, well, what do you think? Like not, it wasn't the build versus buy conversation, but it was kind of like that where it was like, well, you know, what would you prefer? Do you like building your own tools or what do you, and I, you know, he said to the effect of, yeah, I mean, I'd like to be able to buy a tool from a vendor that kind of, checks the box and obviously that that box checking is different for every organization <laughs> every person right um yeah so i think that, previously people were the way that you know some vendor have done it before was and 
you know, like the vendor you you may have mentioned in your blog, may or may not mention in your blog too, that you know they they take the biggest you know box checker and say if I check box for all like if I check all the boxes for this guy, then it should be good enough for like ninety nine percent or ninety percent of the other people who wants to do uh, automation, right? So yeah, you know I, I see I see uh, you know arguments or pros and cons from both sides. Yeah, and and just to add to that as well. So that was, I think these are two different questions that were asked. Whenever it was like the final panel, I believe is when we started talking about this. The last, the other question, which kind of relates back to what you're saying, is he he basically was saying, you know, an open source because a lot of people were saying, hey, yeah, like you know, open source is great, like you know, keep everything open source and whatnot, and it is. Uh, but what he was saying was, there's a lot more consumers than producers in open source. And specifically yeah. in network automation, um, for sure. Just saying, hey, like it was kind of a call to action to say, if you're interested in open source tooling and you like using the available open source tools, look at the list of issues. Right, they're public. Look at the issues and maybe try to do something small, update documentation, um, fix a small bug, or you know, you don't have to tackle like add a new feature to Netbox or anything like that. Right. Yeah. Um, so I. I just encourage people, I'll, I'll say this much because I just started getting more involved with contributing to open source within the past, I would say, year and a half. Sure. Just if you run into a problem and, you know, you've tried a couple different ways to solve that problem using a framework or a library and you're like, yeah, this is weird. And I feel like other people would, you know, it would work out for other people and help others open up an issue right? I, there, there are so many people that are looking to contribute, or at least some of the maintainers that are looking for just that feedback loop. Um, now, I would say if you open up an issue, um, I would say at least have a thought of whether you want to contribute or not, you know, <laughs> try to fix the problem, I guess. If it's a really big issue, obviously, you know, I would still open up an issue. But, uh, but yeah, like, just be, be just cognizant that these are you know, these are public projects um, and kind of come into it knowing, hey, I, I want to make this project better. I use it all the time. Um, and because at the end of the day, we're, you know, we're all in this together. And so we, we really, any way we can help each other out. Yeah, I mean, I would roger that. I mean, I contribute to open source. I sponsor open source projects. And, you know, if everybody give Kirk a dime, uh, if everybody who uses Kirk's work, uh, Kirk Byers' work, give him a dime, he probably doesn't have to work and he could like concentrate exclusively <laughs> on NetMiko or Napalm or whatever. So, um, but, but having said that, I want to say our denominator is smaller, um, you know, compared to people you, who use Linux or people who uses uh, Ansible, right? Like the people who does automation or network engineering in general is smaller. So the den denominator is smaller to begin with. And also the, um, this issue is not, unique to network automation, like meaning open source maintainability and sustainability. Um, there, are, there are projects like requests that's being used by millions of people and by billion dollar fortune 50 companies, and they contribute nothing to the project, right? So um, it's not unique and something that Python, and I mentioned this in my recording with Damien as well, is that the Python Software Foundation have came up and say, okay, I'm going to be the 503 nonprofit that covers all of these. And you guys just come in under my wings. Like your, you know, your PyCon meetup in Seattle, your PyData meetup in San Francisco, 
all just come under my wing. And so, you know, Microsoft could write me like a, a $10,000 check and I distribute that to you. So you don't have to fill out the paperwork, have a board of directors and having board meetings every quarter to do that. And I think that's one way to uh, have open source maintainability, right? Is to have something like a PSF, the Python Software Foundation come in and overlooking all these other smaller projects. And, you know, they've been pretty successful, right? Like, you know, Flask was a, a project that was near, uh, you know, kind of uh, non-maintained for a couple of years. And then they took it down and now they're, you know, thriving, aliving and, and all that. Yeah. I mean, that would be great if, yeah, kind of having that, um, yeah, that funding and management. Um, yeah. And like you said, the, it's not, it's not a problem just in network automation. I mean, contribute the consumer versus producer ratio in open source is ridiculous across pretty much every open source project in every domain. So, um, uh, but since we're already a smaller group, you know, like you mentioned, like a, it would be very cool to see, just if you, you know, network automation engineers or infrastructure automation engineers, whatever the title is in the, you know, five, 10 years, if they come in and one of the first things they learn is Git and how to contribute to open source, because that's what the person before them did and has taught them. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, I agree. And this, this is a, this is a bigger topic, right? And this is, it's just the fact that we're talking about it is an improvement in itself, other than just like, how do I write this script? Or like, how do I, how do I write this playbook, as you mentioned, right? Like, and very tactical stuff, right? Just the fact that we're elevating into an industry-wide thing um, is, a, is a giant step forward. And if I just look at the, the rest of the chat, I know we're almost out of time, but um, yeah. So Autocon 1 is going to, they're already talking about it. It's going to be in Europe um, in January. And I believe they have auto... AutoCon one schedule or on the horizon in fall of 2024. So yeah, it's happening uh, pretty quickly. And from Jose says, what I hear, what I hear a lot is what should I automate? Should I keep everything under automation? I think that's a, probably a bigger, bigger project. And I agree, like that's a, a topic that come up a lot, but as Dan uh, was talking about on the people and process, uh, especially like Kaon's uh, talk and all that is that it's a multi-year process and probably don't want to take that SSH or console access away. And uh, you don't want to quote unquote Facebook it. <laughs> yeah. And just, just to answer Jose, that's actually one of my takes uh, that I did mention. So I had three takeaways. So the one I didn't mention was start with low hanging fruit and build on those easy wins. That was another theme that I took away from the conference um, so, I mean, I, I think I started with talking about doing software upgrades. That's kind of when you break it down can be, I would say a more intermediate problem, um, when we're talking about difficulty, right? Because there's a lot of validation checks and you're rebooting a device and, um, but think of uh, the, the thing I always preach is think of read only operations, right? So the one thing I always tell people is look at test automation, look at network testing. And what that means is. Yes, you could look at configuration. You could do show, run, pipe, include, whatever. Make sure that that configuration is present. Um, but what I really mean is doing show, op, you know, show commands to look at operational status of your routing protocol or your layer two spanning tree, or looking at 
those sort of tables, being able to parse those tables and look for that specific value that you're expecting, um, doing that in an automated fashion is a very low risk task, um, but you get a bunch of value out of it because you really learn how your network's operating. Well said. Well said, Danny. I mean, I know... And we could probably talk on this subject for like another hour or two, but I want to respect uh, your time and as well as people who join today's session's time. Um, so where where can people follow you, find your work besides this excellent devnetdan.com blog? <laughs> well, thank you for the promotion there. <laughs> um, so you can find me on, I guess, used to be called Twitter, now called X, at devnetdan, same name, um, my blog. And um, I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, not on LinkedIn is Devnet Dan, uh, just my name, Daniel Wade. Um, so yeah, but I've I've been I've been promoting my content blog um, on LinkedIn more, um, and so yeah, you can follow follow me, connect with me uh, on there. Awesome, and thank you everybody for joining. Um, you know, let's keep in touch. Uh, my little plug is join the network automation uh, community on the members.networkautomation.community and you'll find everybody who have contributed to today's chat and of course Dan on the uh, on the community and thanks everybody I'll go ahead and uh, hang up and everybody have a good one okay automation on mm-hmm.